As we continue to celebrate the great 50 days of Easter, let us proclaim the good news of Easter. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. This week at Presbytery, one of the things that we learned from our speaker was how important it is in a worship service for everyone to be greeted. So, you have an assignment. Let's see if you can make sure in the next half minute that everybody is greeted. Let's turn and greet one another. So how'd you do? Is there anybody who didn't get greeted? Oh, good, good. I thought I saw a nod, though. Mm, hope not. Um, we would love to have you sign in on our friendship pad on each one of the pews near the center aisle. It's a black folder, and if you'd sign in and let us know you're here today, whether you're visiting or regularly here, and pass it down the aisle, we'd sure appreciate it. You can see our announcements that are inside of the bulletin. Next Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock, it does, there it is, I do see the time. At 5 o'clock, we have a concert, our choir and our bell choir. There's going to be a shofar played and all sorts of wonderful things as a part of that concert. So next Sunday at 5, hope that you come and that you, can, you will bring some friends too. It will always be wonderful music. Uh, also, as we celebrate our 100th anniversary this year, we're marking a special thing each month. In May, we're marking our art heritage. And so uh, even though by Thursday it will be June, for the June Art Walk this Thursday, it's an opportunity to uh, buy one of the pieces of art that some of our artists have made to commemorate uh, one of our founding artists, Anna Hills. In June, we are commemorating weddings that were here in the last hundred years. So if you know anybody who was married here in the last hundred years, um, you make sure that you get them here that Sunday, the last Sunday in June. It's hard for us to go back through the records and catch them all. A lot of people have changed addresses, so it's kind of up to you and the newspaper for us to get people here. So we hope that you'll, maybe it's you or people that you know or your kids, invite them to be here that last Sunday in June. I know my son was married here, and so we'll see if we can get them here that weekend. Our third Friday group invites you to join them for their wonderful Mexican food picnic that will be at Three Arch Bay Clubhouse and Lawn. And you can sign up for that on the patio. You do need to sign up ahead because it's a gated community, so we have to have your names ahead of time. And you can see our children are signing up for Vacation Bible School and for Camp H2O for the summer. It's not too early to do that. In fact, they're beginning to get pretty full. If you uh, um, have not been to women's retreat for a while, you may want to be sure that you will mark the date for our women's retreat this year. Coming up March 16 to 18, we have a new place. We're going to be in Fallbrook at Palo Mesa Resort. It is quite a different place from where we have been, and we have a wonderful speak speaker Courtney Ellis, who is one of the associate pastors at Church of the Master in Mission Viejo. So we hope that you'll write it down now and join us and save that date. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Lord God, on this uh, Memorial Day weekend, we gather as your people in this house to praise you, to lift up our hands to you, to worship you, to listen to your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit will bring comfort to us. We thank you for our nation, for the freedom that we have to worship you in this context. We ask, Lord, that you will empower the mission of your church, that we may plant the flag of your faith, hope, and love to the ends of the earth. Help us to be faithful in every dimension of our discipleship, we ask in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Join me in the responsive call to worship that you'll find printed in your bulletin. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those who redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love for his wonderful works to humankind. And let them offer thanksgiving sacrifices and tell of his deeds with songs of joy. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Let those who are wise give heed to these things and consider the steadfast love of the Lord. And so let us stand and praise God together. Praise yet our Christ again, church. 
Come Christians, join to sing. Come Christians, join to sing. one and encourage the men and men I'm going to have you sing verse two so you can encourage the women and we'll all sing the refrain together men of faith rise up and sing of your See you. 
Amen, church. Oh, let us be seated as we continue in worship. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. So we sing of that this morning. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all the call to confession. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so we come to him and tell him the truth about ourselves. Let us pray responsively. Lord, you said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Forgive us our lukewarm love and our disobedience. Lord, you said, you may ask for anything in my name. Forgive us when we think we need to solve our own problems. Lord, you said, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We confess that our lives are often consumed by worry and anxiety. Lord, you said, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Forgive, Forgive us our barren lives, Lord. Lord, you said you must testify, for you have been with me. We confess, Lord, that we have been too often silent. Lord, you said, love each other as I have loved you. In this and in so many other ways, we confess our failures and shortcomings. And so now in the silence, we bring you the silent confessions of our hearts. For we pray through Christ, our Redeemer. Amen.
My friends, hear the good news. When you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with Christ when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. Thanks be to God. Amen. I'm inviting Lindsay and Ronnie Bizarro to come and bring their daughter Penelope Ann to be baptized this morning. Little Penelope is, what, nine months old now? And uh, she is an absolute beauty. And um, she seems to be in a good mood this morning. So. <laughs> Mothers and fathers are here, the Galloways from Walla Walla, Washington, that were members of our church. Kevin and Heather, uh, and uh, with their boys, are members of our church. And uh, these two families live together in Mission Viejo, and I hear maybe the Galloways are coming back. So, fantastic. So, uh, we welcome you all, and your, the godmother is, you want to stand? Annalisa, yeah, who has been a very special friend over these many years. Hear the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Obeying the word of our Lord Jesus Christ and sure of his presence with us, we baptize those whom he has called to be his own. In the sacrament of baptism, it is as if the love of God reaches out and claims our lives for the full humanity that he intended for us from the very beginning. He unites us in a fellowship of love and incorporates our children into the new covenant that celebrates the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So today we rejoice that Ronnie and Lindsay have brought their daughter. They came to us from Calvary Presbyterian Church in San Francisco. We have many friends with that congregation, and so we welcome you. I ask you, Lindsay and Ronnie, do you confess that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord? Do you intend your daughter to be his disciple, to obey his word, and to show his love? Our Lord Jesus Christ ordered us to teach those who are baptized. Do you, the people of the church, promise to tell this child the good news of the gospel, to help her know all that Christ commands, and by your fellowship to strengthen her ties with the household of God? If you do, will you please say, we do. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the new covenant into which you call us and into which you baptize us. For indeed, we are all your children, adopted into your family. We belong to you in the fullness of life. So we pray now that as we baptize with water, you may baptize us with Holy Spirit so that what we say may be your word and what we do may be your work. We ask in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. You hold okay, Penelope, we'll see if this works. Penelope and Pizarro, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I declare you are baptized. Lord, thank you for this little one, for her cries, for her laughter, for the joy that she has brought into this family. We pray your blessing upon them all, and especially upon this little one, that she may grow up to know you, to love you, and to serve you. Amen. There you are. See what love the Father has for us? Mothers are charmers, let's face it. And I have to give to you guys a baptismal certificate with her name on it that I've signed and a beginner's Bible. Oh, wow. And Ronnie, you read this Thank you. Oh, well. to this little one, both of you together. 
And uh, may God bless you. We love you. So grateful that you're a part of our congregation. read to you a gospel lesson this morning from Luke chapter 9. Jesus was preparing his disciples for their mission in the world. Luke 9 verses 1 to 6. Then Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal He said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, not even an extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. Wherever they do not welcome you as you are leaving that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the villages, bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. Now Luke allows us to see what was going on in the church post-Easter. Acts 1, the disciples, all 12 of them, all 11 of them actually, are gathered in the upper room. The congregation's about 120 members. 
And they are reconstituting themselves after the trauma of Holy Week. In verse 15, all those in those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Together the crowd numbered about 120 persons and said, Friends, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. In verse 21, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John the Baptist until the day when Jesus was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Mattathias. And then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We join in prayer. Lord, through your Holy Spirit, bring illumination to your word this morning. Bless this congregation and all of us together as we listen to your word. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Years and years ago, I was reading a book about the rapid growth of communist ideology in Southeast Asia. And the book was addressing the question of why the disciples of Marx and Engels had been so successful. And it made an argument that the growth of communism in Southeast Asia came as a result of the disciples of Marx and Engels being sent out in missions, short-term mission trips in their own cities where they were to hand out communist literature and engage in conversations and make friends and welcome those who believe the message into the fellowship of comrades, if you will. It caused me to remember how my life as a witness was shaped from the very beginning. When I was at the university, in a very small little church, my pastor invited me to go door to door with him in the neighborhood of the church and there to knock on the door and to ask people if they were Christians and to seek to enter into a serious conversation about the faith. Well, it was an identity-shaping experience in my life to do that. I learned some very important things from the very beginning, and that is how people identify themselves. <coughs> I would ask, are you a Christian? And the answer would be, well, I'm a Southern Baptist. Or I'm a Methodist. Very few said they were Presbyterians because Presbyterians don't do those kinds of things. That is, witness on the streets. Some said they were Catholics. Very few said they were nothing because in that culture, everyone belonged to the church, it seemed like. And yet in many ways, no one belonged. <laughs> because there always seemed to me to be a disconnect between belonging and actually living what the message of Christianity is about. The following summer of that, in my hometown, I associated myself with a college group, a fellowship in a small Bible church in my hometown of Amarillo, Texas, and 
we decided to take on a project that we would go on Saturday evenings down to the one street in Amarillo where all the bars were and where Amarillo Air Force Base personnel would come in and where college students would gather and go from bar to bar seeking something interesting. And so we decided to proclaim the gospel on the streets. And since I knew and had memorized more scriptures than anyone else in the group, they invited me to be the preacher. That scared the whammies out of me. You know, we had a portable organ. We had a loudspeaker, and we plugged it inside the store next to a bar. And we'd sing hymns. And we gather a large crowd of people roaming downtown in Amarillo looking for something interesting. <clears throat> and then I would preach. We did that a number of Saturday evenings. My parents used to come and watch from about two blocks away. And I think they were terrified that their son was doing such a thing. And they had to be asking themselves the question, <clears throat> what's happened to our son? Has he joined the cult? Where's all of this going? I think they were frightened. But that summer, some 50 from the military and from colleges joined our fellowship. And we had the best summer that I have ever had and I began to get all kinds of affirmation. People began to suggest to me, maybe, Jerry, you're called to the ministry. And indeed, that was the beginning. It was a shaping of my life by making a public testimony in my hometown. And who knew where that might lead? There was wisdom in that. When Jesus was seeking to shape and form his disciples, he had taught them. He'd allowed them to see the mighty works of God through them. He proclaimed the kingdom of God to them as being alive and present in their lives that very day. He healed the sick. He restored lives. And, and then he sent the twelve out on a mission to the villages of Galilee. And they came back rejoicing. And later he sent the 72 out as if he was preparing for even a greater number and a greater outreach into the world. But now post-Easter, those 120 disciples gathered in Jerusalem in the upper room and they faced the reality that one of them, Judas, had betrayed Jesus and fallen away and sold Jesus to the authorities and betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And so for 40 days, between Easter and the day of Ascension, the living, resurrected Jesus was present with his disciples teaching them, shaping and forming them, giving to them a vision. If you will, I think what Jesus was doing was resetting the mission that he was giving to them. Resetting the mission, and it meant thinking in larger terms than they had ever thought before. This was no longer to be a mission to the villages of Galilee, as important as that may have been. But this was to be a mission to the entire world. For they were being called to move from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And Acts wants to tell us that story. As how the Holy Spirit empowered that witness and transformed the church and led them into places that were dangerous and comfortable and challenging in which they faced all kinds of things in the crosswinds of the Greco-Roman culture. The mission was reset in its largest terms. You are to make disciples of all nations. 
baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. That was a major new mindset for the early church. In the process of resetting the the mission and how great it was to be, there was also a process of resetting the message. They recognized they needed to replace Judas. And so they proposed that they have an election and that someone who had been with them from the very beginning, from the time when John the Baptist started his preaching and baptizing down at the Jordan River, from that time through the life of Jesus, through his death in Jerusalem, through the resurrection on Easter Sunday morning, someone who had been there from the very beginning, who could join with them and faithfully bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now that may not seem like such a resetting of the message, but it was major. And oftentimes the church has gone through periods of time in which it needed to rethink its message and ask itself, not only who we are, but what is the message that we have to proclaim and to live in the world. We had a wonderful speaker at Presbytery this week, Roger Nishioshka, Nishiosha, Japanese name, I mispronounced it a little bit, but he's been professor down at the Columbia Theological Seminary, our Presbyterian Seminary in Atlanta. Just recently called to the staff of the Prairie Village Church in Kansas. And he shared with us, as a part of our theological reflections, about an experience he had several years ago of being invited to Washington, D.C. to participate in an interfaith dialogue that included Catholics and Protestants, two Protestant ministers, one Methodist, one Presbyterian, that included Orthodox Christians, but also included Jewish rabbis and a Muslim imam. And this was for the sake of greater understanding. It was to be a conversation over three hours with a break in the middle for a few minutes for coffee. Roger said during the break, the Muslim imam, the cleric, came to him with a question. He asked him, are you a Christian? Of course, Roger said, I'm a Christian. Well, when are you going to begin to speak like a Christian? The cleric asked. I've not heard one word from you that would distinguish Christianity from being an American citizen. I've not heard one thing about the good news that the New Testament proclaims. And Roger said, in that moment, he awakened and was challenged and was intimidated. And in the last hour and a half, he began to bear witness in a new way and in a powerful way to the resurrection, to the death and resurrection of Jesus as the distinctive message of the church, the great event in human history, the very middle of human history, B.C., A.D., the event in which God acted in history to reconcile the world to himself through the death of his son upon the cross and raising him from the dead on the third day. He said they had a wonderful dialogue. And when it was over, some of Roger's friends came to him and said, what happened to you in the first half of the conversation? It's almost like you were asleep. And how is it that you came alive in the second half of this dialogue? He said, I came alive because I understood that it was important for me to witness to the central facts of the gospel, of the good news. And if the church loses that message, that distinctive message, it loses the very reason for our being and the reason for our witness as we witness to the inbreaking of the kingdom of God in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that came to fulfillment, of course, on the day of Pentecost that we'll talk about next week. And then Roger cited all kinds of sociological statistics that are now out 
that reveal that people are drawn to churches not just because they are spoken to and greeted when they come in. But whatever generation they may be a part of, they come to churches that have a clear message. That are not simply wandering in acculturation like everyone else. Boiled down to nothing, but they come to worship in a place where Christ is lifted up. Where the gospel is proclaimed. Christ crucified. Christ buried. Christ raised again. Christ coming again in the fullness of time. That's what we're looking for. It's what I'm looking for. If I don't have that message, I'd resign the ministry. In 2002, when I stood for moderator of the General Assembly, the great debate that was going on in our denomination at that time was about the essential tenets of the Reformed faith. And everyone was saying, of course there are essential tenets that you have to believe before you can be ordained. But everybody's got a different list. And we don't want to become a subscriptionist church and insist that everybody has to think alike and believe alike. And there, there has to be options. Of, and so there was a lot of conflict in the Presbyterian family. About that time, one of our sub-fellowship groups in the denomination was showing a video in all the presbyteries in the country a pastor friend of mine was featured on that video and he was making a point about the essential tenets of the faith and he said, well, of course we believe in essential tenets, but not all of us have the same list. And he began to list some that might be essential and others not essential. And one of them he stated was the resurrection of Jesus Christ is maybe optional. There was a gasp on the floor of the presbytery. And Roger was making the point that we need to reset the mission of the church and understand what our message is and what it is we believe. Do we believe anything? Do we have any gospel to proclaim and to live? I believe we do. And that God blesses with His Holy Spirit the church that lifts high the cross of Jesus Christ that speaks to the death and resurrection of this mighty act of God. And then the church found itself resetting the messengers of the church. That is replacing Judas. Now, someone told me this morning that in all their years in the church, they had never heard that Judas was replaced. Why was he replaced? Because he was a traitor. He'd been called by Jesus. Jesus had prayed over him. And Jesus had taught him. And yet when push came to shove, Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And there have been all kinds of explanations for this. That perhaps he simply wanted to press Jesus' movement toward establishing his kingdom so that Judas could rule. He was self-interested. We know that like the other disciples, none of them were perfect by any means. Some said that, that he was the treasurer of the apostolic band and that he used to steal from the bag of the money that people had given. That's one of the worst sins that any preacher can commit is to steal from the church. And some have <laughs> to betray trust. Some said that Judas was just filled with Satan's spirit, that Satan got hold of him and seduced him into betraying Jesus. And others have said, well, he was just acting as God's servant, doing what Jesus knew what he was going to do. Jesus needed to find a way of getting to the cross, and so he used one of his own disciples, Judas. None of these are satisfactory for me. I think this remains a mystery. But the important point of our text this morning, the church faced up to what had happened in Judas. 
And they knew they did not have the wisdom or the insight to look into the human heart and to know who ought to replace Judas. And so they established two men. They identified these two men who had been with Jesus from the very beginning, at the beginning of the baptizing of John the Baptist when Jesus was baptized. Through his life, through his teachings in Galilee, through his mission in the short-term missions, through what happened in the last week, his death, his resurrection. And they prayed, Lord, you alone know what is in the human heart. You choose. Because we do not have the power to identify the one who is going to have to go with us to the ends of the earth to bear witness. I mean, the magnitude of this mission and the integrity that it required, the character that it required was awesome. I oftentimes think about this text when a church elects a new pastor or a new ruling elder. What are the qualifications? What's the heart of the person like who is being selected? Do they have the character and integrity to go the distance and to persevere to the very end and to be a martyr if need be? And so what was happening in Jerusalem in this text is that there was a resetting of the understanding of the mission in its global dimension. There was a resetting of the message in the centrality of the cross and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And there was the resetting of the messengers of the church and a calling for the disciples to live with integrity and character, to know how to tell the truth and to exercise whatever power the Spirit might give with humility. The Pope was right. In a recent statement, he said, if you are given power, whatever the nature of that power, whether it's political or economic or religious or social, if all you have is power, you're doomed for disaster. If power is not harnessed by humility, it will crash on the rocks of the seashores of human history. And there is far more than enough evidence of that. The church is called to a divine humility to have the mind of Christ, to have the courage to witness to what we know to be true, to what we've seen and heard, to what we've experienced, not just to be a member of a club, but to be a part of a living, vital fellowship of saints who are alive. Look into your own heart this morning. Look around you. May we see lives that are aglow with the Spirit and the Word of Christ, who know what the truth is, who are not afraid to bear witness, even if it means from the street corner to the living room and family room, to the neighborhood, to the community, to this place in Laguna Beach. That mission moved out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, and it's right here in Laguna this morning, and you are the new saints alive in Laguna. And we are being called to place our lives on the line to be God's people who live with integrity in the power of the Spirit. Next week we'll talk about it on Pentecost Sunday, the Sunday in which we remember that God poured out His Spirit to empower the church for its mission to the ends of the earth. Thanks be to God that we have discovered that there is hope that there is new life, that there is the power of love at work in our hearts. It is the resurrection power of Christ. We believe that on Easter Sunday, 
that there was not just a resurrection of Easter faith amongst the disciples. But there was an objective event in history in which the disciples saw with their eyes and touched with their hands the living Christ. May Christ be so alive in us this morning that we will be emboldened to risk in the name of the Lord. I invite you to stand with me and to affirm our faith together. Words from our Confession of 1967 in our Presbyterian Book of Confessions. We affirm our faith responsively. The life, death, resurrection, and promise coming of Jesus Christ has set the pattern for the church's mission. Life involves the church in the common life of all people. His service to men and women commits the church to work for every form of human well-being. His suffering makes the church sensitive to all human suffering so that it sees the face of Christ in the faces of persons in every kind of need. His crucifixion discloses to the church God's judgment on the inhumanity that marks human relations and the awful consequences of the church's own complicity in injustice. In the power of the risen Christ and the hope of His coming, the church sees the promise of God's renewal of human life in society and of God's victory over all wrong.
Gracious God, we give you thanks that you came to live amongst us, bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, that you allowed yourself to be betrayed and that you gave yourself for us, that you suffered and rose to new life. We thank you for all those who throughout our lives have been the ones who have brought us to know you, the ones who have taught and lived in ways that showed you to us for family and friends, for teachers and mentors. And so we pray that you will use our words and our deeds to show yourself to others. On this Memorial Day weekend, we thank you for the freedom that we enjoy in this country. We thank you for the bravery of men and women who've served our country, for those who've given their lives. We pray for those whose lives are on the line today Protect them and bring them home safely. God of peace, stir in the hearts of the leaders of all nations and in all who would use violence to further their cause. Change their hearts and minds. Give them a passion for peace. Bring an end to the pain and injustice and violence in our world. Hasten the day when people will beat their swords into plowshares and nation shall not lift up sword against nation. We pray especially this week for the people of Manchester, for Syria, for South Sudan, for your church in Egypt. In a world that is torn and broken, we declare that Jesus is Lord, that hope overcomes despair, that joy overcomes sorrow, that peace overcomes hostility, that love overcomes hate. From the tomb, the promise of eternity emerged in the resurrected Christ, and grace was poured into the hearts of all those who suffer and mourn and grieve. And so we bring you these gifts, asking that you will use them and that you will use us until the day when your kingdom comes in its fullness, even as we pray together for the coming of that day, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Oh, 
the Apostle Peter finally wrote to the whole church, by the mercies of God, we have been born anew into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, which is being kept for us in heaven. May we go forth in that living hope in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and to bear witness to what we know to be the truth of life. Amen. Amen.